0: Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. When we last left Nicole Solis, she was up there in Rhode Island, wanting to get answers to questions about what was being taught to her children. She was gonna be sending her kids to school and she wanted to know what exactly was happening, hearing about critical race theory, seeing the kinds of things that have been happening all across the country, seeing parents fight back. She wanted to know what was going to be taught on critical race theory and on gender theory. They wouldn't ask her quest, her answer her questions so she could file you know, information requests. Well, she filed so many of them, the school board talked about suing her and now after you thought all that was said and done they are indeed suing her to prevent a mom from getting school district records Teaching records. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. Parlor. Instagram, Twitter. Tony Katz and everything at TonyKatz.com. William Jacobson is the Cornell Law Professor and the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. And he has been the voice of following this story, sharing the story of Nicole Solis. So I want you, sir, just to give us a little bit of the refresher. I I tried my best, fill in the gaps. And then what is this new lawsuit that comes from the Rhode Island chapter of the National Education Association?
1: Yeah, hi, Tony. Uh, As you indicated, Nicole Solis is a mother from the town of South Kingstown, Rhode Island. She had a kindergartner enrolled to start in the fall. So she contacted the school and wanted to know, because she'd heard things about critical race theory and gender theory, you know, what was being taught. And the long story short is they wouldn't tell her. They forced her to file uh, public records requests, which she did. Uh, They mostly complied with them. And what she realized is that the most efficient way for her to do that is to file a lot of little requests because if she filed one big one, they would come back to her and say, well, we want $7,000 to provide you with those records. So she started filing a lot of little, very specific requests. Uh, And then the school board said, hey, we're upset that you're taking up so much of our administrative time, we might even sue you. And they put that on the school committee calendar, and there was a huge uproar, and they backed off from it. And they have been producing documents to her some, and they've been refusing to produce others, the normal sort of public records thing that happens. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, the Rhode Island branch of the National Education Association, which is the largest teachers union in the country, and which has explicitly endorsed critical race theory being taught in K K through 12, uh, and the South Kingstown Specific chapter, subchapter of it. So basically, National Education Association has sued her, and what they have are suing. They're suing her in the school district. They're saying all these <coughs> records that you, excuse me, all these records that you have requested um, should not be turned over by South Kingstown School District, and they say that some of the records might involve personal information on teachers and private, non-public information. And so they've gone to court and they're seeking an emergency injunction. And I've analyzed it, and it's a completely ridiculous lawsuit because the public records laws have specific exemptions from production. So the legislature understood people might ask for things that are personal or private or attorney-client privilege or something. And there's like, I forget the number, 15 or twenty exemptions right in the statute so these are so the, the unions running into court saying the school district might turn over personnel private records but that's actually exempted under the statute there's no reason to think the school district is going to do that so i think there's other things going on here but that's where we are they have thrown the full muscle of the national education association with its 350 million dollar a year budget uh, with its teams of lawyers they are going after this mother in South Kingstown. And the excuse is that the school district, which has been very aggressive in redacting information and asserting exemptions, might possibly produce something that would be embarrassing to a teacher. Now let's, now let's take just a step back. The lawsuit
0: that they're bringing one would think is because the NEA is saying that information is private and providing that information could be um, of, of a security risk or other to an educator. Wouldn't they? the correct answer be, well, we're not going to provide that information, then you can sue us and go through the rigmarole? The proactiveness of the NEA here is what confuses me.
1: Well, what's very unusual is the NEA, the unions, are not part of the public records process. So Nicole Solis or any person in the public, and we've done it at Legal Insurrection Foundation, files a public record request with the school district. The school district then responds. The school district either gives you the documents or says they're exempt from production. And we have filed requests with the South Kingstown School District Legal Insurrection Foundation. And let me tell you, they are extremely aggressive in asserting exemptions and redacting documents. We got a 5,000-page production from them, and I haven't counted it, but I swear, half of it was probably completely redacted, blacked-out pages. We may have to litigate that, but the normal process is you request something from an agency or a school district. They tell you you can't have it. You go to court, and the court decides whether you can get it. The union has no role in this. They are somebody who is not part of the process, essentially saying that South Kingstown School District is not going to do their job, is not going to withhold exempted materials. And therefore, they have this fear that something might be turned over that's embarrassing or private to a teacher. Now, let's take no basis for that. They don't present any evidence that that is what South Kingstown's actually going to do.
0: And so let me take it a bit further, talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com, talking about this lawsuit, the NEA, the National Education Association, the largest union, teachers union in the country, suing this woman, Nicole Solis, because she just wants information on what's being taught to her kids. You have the line of lines in your write-up about this. My initial take is that this smells collusive. If your argument to us is that the, the union has no role in this, but they're acting as this protector of this South Kingstown school district... That would be the conversation. I think that's what you're alluding to here, that they're clearly doing a favor because they know what might come out of it is embarrassing, not just for South Kingstown, not just for the NEA, but for the entirety of the education process across the country.
1: I think that's right. The school committee in South Kingstown had considered suing Nicole Solis, going to court and essentially saying her Number of requests, and the breadth of her requests are so broad that it, it they should not have to comply with them, and they backed down from that after there was a public outcry. So the school committee has decided they can't stop her from doing what citizens are allowed to do, making requests for public records. So they can't stop it, but who now decides <clears throat> that they can stop it? Well, what they're, it's the union. So the union is trying to do South Kingtown School District's, you know, dirty work for them. Now, whether that's been prearranged, whether it just happens to be true, it's very collusive. And the other thing I explain, what I mean by it's a collusive lawsuit, is that the the primary plaintiff, the unions, and the primary defendants, the school district and the uh, school committee, all agree they're on the same side of this issue. They don't like her. They don't like her request. And they don't think the school district should have to comply with them. The only reason she is named in the lawsuit is that, and they admit this in the complaint, they had to because she's the party in interest. She's the one who made the request. So they can't not bring her into the lawsuit. But if it wasn't for that legal requirement that she be named, you would have had unions versus school district. They both agree that Nicole Solis should be shut down. And that's what I mean when I say collusive. The primary plaintiff and the primary defendant Are not actually at odds over this they actually agree with what which should happen and if if they didn't have to name her by legal requirement in the complaint they said we're only naming her because we're legally required to name her if that little piece wasn't there you would have had a completely collusive lawsuit they would have entered into a stipulation so ordered by the court it would have been done ordered and she would have been shut down. But there's something more going on here. I think that one of the things they are really trying to hide is the involvement of the local unions in pushing CRT in the schools. And, now, one of the things And that's that what you I know. think they're really trying to hide because they don't want teacher emails. They don't want emails between the superintendent and a former union member, a retired teacher was a leading CRT activist in the district. They don't want those emails produced. So I, I think that the, you know, the notion that South Kingstown somehow is going to turn over personnel records is irrational. They're not going to do that. There's nothing to indicate that. What they really want to do is they want to shut down the process of people looking into And
0: that's cell. exactly right. One of the things that you have in this piece at LegalInsurrection.com is they held an emergency general membership meeting June 7th, 2021, and Nicole Solis did a, an appearance on Fox News, and they highlighted. They specifically held meetings to deal with this problematic parent. parents all across America, my beloved Indiana, other places are speaking out and trying to get information from their school boards and trying to not have critical race theory be taught. And they're the ones asking themselves, I wonder if I'm because I'm being so loud. I'm getting singled out and targeted by the school board. Well, you take a look at this and you take a look at what happened at this meeting and you realize, yes, 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 that is not only very possible, it is wholly probable. What is the, if not legal advice, the just having experienced this advice you give to parents who are curious about what's happening in their kids' schools?
1: I think you have to file your public records requests. You have to show up to school board meetings. You have to make your views known. I mean, it's your children here. And, but make no doubt about it. The other side, the NEA and those groups are extremely well-funded. Uh, you have no idea. We've looked into this. There are hundreds of groups around the country pushing this stuff with dozens of large philanthropic backers There's a coalition called Future for Learning that the NEA is involved in. They even have a messaging guide as to how to attack parents who are raising these issues. We've written about that. We uh, found that messaging guide. And every message, every soundbite you hear these people making, pushing back against parents, are right in that messaging guide. One, two, three, four, five. This is what you say. Say, oh, it's AstroTurf. It's not real. Backed by right-wing dark money, you know, all of these sort of things. We don't really teach CRT, that's not true. It's only an academic law school theory. These are all their standard talking points. So parents have to be willing to stand up and take a little bit of the heat because you have to understand one or two or three parents standing up encourages and gives strength to hundreds of other parents. So somebody's gotta take a little bit of the heat. that's a personal decision I never tell anybody you must do that but if nobody does it that's how they get away with this
0: are you involved with more of these cases across the country have people been coming to you and can you if not talk about individuals can you talk about the numbers of people that have come your way looking for information or actively engaged as as uh, unions and school boards don't want to be honest
1: well we get we get contacts every day. Uh, we have a website criticalrace.org, dot org, which focuses on critical race theory in education, and we get contacts every day. Unfortunately, we're you know a small organization. We can't get involved in all of these things, so we try to pick and choose. Um, we also brought forward a teacher, Ramona Bessinger in Providence School District in Rhode Island, who uh, wrote about and has done a lot of media appearances about. How horrible this new curriculum is in Providence, how it is racializing everything, how it is pushing an oppressor, oppressed racial narrative and how it's actually turning the students and some of the staff against her. She's a white teacher because day in and day out, uh, people are demonized based on their skin color. So we've done that, too, and, and we will have more, but we are not really equipped to. Uh, handle this on a national basis. We're too small an organization, but there are other organizations out there. At criticalrace.org, we have a uh, resource pages that list various groups around the country. So I think that, but what really has to happen is parents need to form their own local groups. That's what we're seeing more than anything. There's no Contrary to what you would hear in the mainstream media, there's no central organizing function here. You have parents forming Facebook groups. You have parents showing up for school board meetings. You have all of these things going on. And it's tough because you are up against very powerful forces. But what people need to understand is the majority of people agree with them. The majority of black Americans, according to polling, agree with them that we should not be racializing everything in our children's lives. We should not be demonizing white children because of their skin color, because of things that happened before they were even born. Because when you demonize white and you shame white children, you're actually also shaming black children because you're telling white children they're born to be oppressors and you're telling black children they're born to be victims. And that is one of the worst things you can teach a child is that their life is predetermined by the color of their skin because that's just not true.
0: Absolutely, positively uh, not true. And it's never been about race. It's always been about ideology. That's the conversation here. William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, LegalInsurrection.com. And you can also check out more Legal Insurrection Foundation dot o r g Legal Insurrection Foundation, uh o r g uh Mazeltov on uh, the family wedding uh, that you're heading off to. Appreciate you spending the time with us. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. This headline from Daily Caller is just special. Democrats hit panic button over Kamala's bad press, calling damage control experts. Man, I am in the wrong business. Tony Katz, it's so good to be with you guys on Tony Katz today. I should just be a damage control expert because the answer is, look, I can handle this. You got $3 million? Wait, how much How much do you have? 1.6? Yeah, I can handle this for 1.6. And that's it. There's nothing to do. There's no way to change it. Put out a couple of commercials of her smiling and loving her husband and, you know, kissing a puppy. She's an unlikable person. How do I know this? Because Democrats dismissed her before the first primary. What did you think was going to happen? If it wasn't for Trump being Trump... You wouldn't have had this problem if he had just controlled himself in any way, shape, or form, never mind the issues, by the way. I don't deny the issues, but I do also take a look at how Trump handled the election. I think he could have done some things better. You never should have had Kamala Harris in the position. That's my point. She was a bad choice to begin with. You, Democrats, you needed a black woman. Come on. We're going to lie to each other now after everything we've been through together? You needed a black woman more than you needed oxygen to deal with Whitey McWhiterson, known as Joe Biden. So you picked the woman who called Joe Biden a segregationist. And now you wonder how you're going to deal with the fact that she's less likable than Hillary Clinton? Whoa. What? Whoa! Hillary is
2: way more unlikable.
0: That's my take, but that's not their take. You're bringing in the experts. Hmm. How do we, how do we, how do I soften the edges? I don't know what they call it. I got to assume they talk like it's the 1930s. How are we going to, how are we going to, how are we going to make it all just look roses and sunshine? I have no idea. Maybe they talk that way. And the answer is you can't. I mean, I think the expression you're looking for is lipstick on a pig. But then I'm going to get called sexist and so I'm not using that expression. I'm Tony cat- So I guess Mexico decides if you don't want to solve a problem, just sue other people and pretend the problem is them. Because Mexico is suing U.S. gun manufacturers over arms trafficking. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Guys, so good to be with you today. Facebook Tony Katz Radio. Let me bring in Cam Edwards right now. He is the editor-in-chief of BearingArms.com. B-E-A-R-I-N-G. BearingArms.com. Mexico is looking for as much as $10 billion in compensation Oh, right here, the question is: Does Mexico get to sue U.S. gun manufacturers for things that gangs in Mexico are doing? Cam, take us through it. Break down this case for us. What is Mexico saying? What are the gun manufacturers responding with?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's let's include the gun control lobby here in the United States as well, because they're a, a big part of this lawsuit that Mexico has filed against. Uh, A number of U.S. manufacturers, uh, everybody from Smith & Wesson to uh, Glock, um, there's one big exception that we can uh, talk about uh, that I think is kind of interesting. But yeah, they're they're basically uh, accusing these manufacturers of knowingly uh, producing products that will end up in the hands of Mexican drug cartels and fuel the violence south of the border. Uh, and they are seeking to hold the firearms industry accountable for the actions of drug cartels to the tune of $10 billion, Tony. Uh, Brady campaign uh, legal counsel Jonathan Lowey uh, is one of the attorneys that is working on the case for the uh, government of Mexico. Uh, and, and you're right. I mean, this really does, I think, strike at the sovereignty of uh, the United States as well as the uh, firearms industry. But at the end of the day, I, I think it is another attempt and uh, one of of, of several current attempts by the gun control lobby uh, to try to impose gun control restrictions uh, via litigation because they know that they can't do it through federal legislation right now.
0: Now, let's make sure we're all on the same page here. Let's talk about uh, Brady and and their work within gun control going Mm -hmm. back to uh, the days of the press secretary, Jim Brady, and the shooting of President Reagan.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, Brady started out as a group called Handgun Control Incorporated. Actually, before then, they were the council to ban handguns, uh, and they've uh, changed their name over the years. But this litigation strategy actually dates back to the '90s. Uh, you might you might know uh, the name Andrew Cuomo, Tony. I don't know if he's uh, come up in the news at all this week. As you've been I, talking, I, but, I uh, have
0: I have heard about it, but being uh, not being a woman, I don't usually get that close to him. <laughs>
2: Well, when when Andrew Cuomo was uh, housing and urban development secretary in the Clinton administration, uh, he announced that he was going to help public housing authorities sue the bejeebers out of the gun industry, trying to hold them responsible for violence in public housing projects. And the gun control lobby, including Brady, was a big part of that effort Um, at the time. Even The Washington Post. Uh, editorialized that this was ridiculous, trying to hold the farms industry responsible for what criminals were doing. But now, of course, you know it's 20 years later. Democrats have taken a very different uh, take uh, and, and a very different turn on this issue. So, you know, now the left's fully on board uh, with this idea. And basically, the strategy is: look, you know, we we can we can sue them, and we can try to get a a huge verdict that'll bankrupt these companies. Uh, we can sue them and lose, but keep suing and suing and suing and adopt sort of a death by a thousand cut strategy. We'll just bankrupt them slowly through legal fees. Or we can try to get them to bend the knee and settle a lawsuit in exchange for adopting business practices that mirror many of the same gun control policies that they've been trying to put in place. That's actually what they did with Smith & Wesson uh, back in the late 1990s. And it took, I mean, it, it almost destroyed Smith & Wesson. Uh, From a consumer perspective, gun owners didn't want to have anything to do with that company. And the company ended up being sold. It had to get new CEOs. They had to do a lot of PR efforts to try to regain the trust of gun owners. Uh, And it took them a long time to do that. So I don't know that any gun company is going to be eager uh, to make that same mistake. So I think the strategy really right now is to try to destroy the firearms industry, either through one big verdict Uh, Or again, a, a lot of lawsuits that add up to, you know, millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars in legal fees
0: talking to Cam Edwards of BearingArms.com, B-E-A-R-I-N-G, BearingArms.com. This lawsuit was filed in Massachusetts. I just found that interesting uh, that it's it's not about going after the gun industry or changing gun laws in the United States. You just found the most anti-gun state in the Union. They didn't file in Texas. I mean, it's right there uh, over the border. The gun manufacturers... They know that they're targeted. You take a look just the other day, the, the settlement from Remington regarding mm-hmm. Sandy Hook, and I think that's a peculiar settlement. But they, I would assume they're looking at this and saying, my gosh, they really are making their push. They figure they've got another year and a half to the midterms. Everything, including the kitchen sink and other people's kitchen sinks, are going to be thrown at them. What are gun manufacturers saying to you? How concerned are they?
2: Well, I think they're very concerned because, you know, this isn't just a one off. In fact, yesterday, uh, Biden was meeting with Democrat attorneys general at the White House, including, by the way, the attorney general of Massachusetts, Maura Healey, and encouraging them to to take on this very same strategy uh, to, quote, hold the gun industry accountable uh, for the violent crime on city streets. So the White House is actually pushing attorney generals to file more of these types of lawsuits. So the industry understands that this is a real threat. Uh, And they are reacting strongly. I mean, we have the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. That's a federal law passed on a bipartisan basis in 2005 that is designed to prevent these types of junk lawsuits. But, you know, we've seen some activist judges that have allowed uh, a couple of, uh, you know, pieces of litigation to proceed. And and that sort of opened the door for more. Um, I am kind of interested, though, Tony, you know, one of the big companies that was not named in this lawsuit is Sig Sauer. And as it turns out, Mexico's Navy is getting ready to buy about five and a half million dollars worth of SIG Sauer rifles. Coincidentally, uh, that news broke the day before Mexico filed this lawsuit. So I'm actually curious to see what SIG Sauer does here. Now I I have to think
0: that you're being sarcastic. I don't think you think it's coincidental.
2: No, I don't think it's coincidental at all. No, Uh, but I I, I don't believe that SIG Sauer had any prior knowledge that this lawsuit was coming down. But now that this lawsuit is public knowledge, I'm very curious to see what SIG Sauer does. Does it continue to try to proceed with this sale, which would require, by the way, the approval of uh, uh, U.S. Congress? Or do they say, hey, listen, you're trying to put our industry out of business. So we'll take the five million dollars. We'll leave that on the table uh, because we don't want to be a party to what you're trying to do to destroy our industry.
0: Okay, now we're getting into something unique. Talking to Cam Mm -hmm. Edwards, BearingArms.com. Now we're getting into whether or not the people within the industry see an opportunity to knock off the competition, or they see an opportunity to save and build and grow the industry. I can make a cigar correlation here. Allow me a moment. I was recently in Vegas, the Premium Cigar Association Conference, and one of the things that was noted was that a couple of the big dogs weren't there, Davidoff uh, amongst them. And Davidoff is Davidoff and Avo, a whole series of of fantastic cigars. But I don't have from Davidoff the, the answer of why they weren't there. Some people said they weren't there because it was COVID, and of course, that kept people from spending and they have to conserve other people say, well, Davidoff isn't there because a lot of boutique cigar manufacturers built up during the last year because cigars are up over a billion dollars in sales because people were home, they had more expendable income, they needed something to do, they took up cigar smoking. And for me, you know, that's great and that's wonderful. So they didn't show up to the premier convention because they didn't want as many people coming and buying from the other guys that they're competing with. Maybe by not showing up, they can keep those guys suppressed and maybe keep them out of the industry. Now, I don't know which one is fact. I'm just saying that it was an open discussion uh, amongst uh, uh, people who will remain nameless. So as you know the industry, Sig Sauer in it for them
2: or is Sig Sauer in it for the industry? You know, it's a, it's a really good question. I, I wish I had an answer. Uh, I will say that generally I think the firearms industry, you know, they, they view these other companies as both competitors and allies because they, they do share a common market, but they also share a common existential threat. Um, Six Hour is uh, it's a privately owned company. Uh, it is a subsidiary of a, uh, of a larger firm. Um, so it's not publicly traded. It's not a, a family business. Uh, and that makes it, I think, a little bit harder to figure out you know, how they will respond to this. Um, I, again, I, I, if, they're, if they're savvy and they're smart, uh, I think that they'll leave this deal on the table because we do know that, uh, that, that gun owners are we're passionate uh, about our rights and we do want to stick together. And so, you know, if the if the, the gun buying public uh views six hours as, you know, willing to work with a company that's or with a country that's trying to obliterate the firearms industry, I think that they, they, they really risk a consumer backlash. I think the safer move would be to tell Mexico to go pound stand. Uh, we're not selling you any guns as long as uh, this lawsuit continues. Uh, but I also don't think that Six Sauer can be the only company to say that. I mean, I, I, I would really like to see that be an industry-wide response. And, and so far, uh, you know, again, it's only been a couple of days since this lawsuit was, uh, was filed. Um, so far, we haven't seen that industry-wide response. But uh, I, I think that would be the appropriate uh, thing to say and do.
0: Let me bring you to one more story over at bearingarms.com written by uh, one of your compatriots, Tom Knighton, about Oregon, where a law, a judge has allowed sanctuary county ordinance to stand now this isn't about sanctuary cities as we know when they talk about uh illegal immigrants but rather the conversation of firearms and some places have said we absolutely will not allow any laws that prevent people from the, the right to keep and bear arms take place here some people say you're not even allowed to have a firearm here what is the story out
2: of oregon yes yeah, so this is this is actually fascinating um so there's a county in oregon called columbia county that voters approved in a referendum a Second Amendment sanctuary ordinance. Now, apparently the county supervisor, at least some of the county supervisors, aren't really on board with this. So in Oregon, there's this legal maneuver that you can do where you can ask a judge to uh, validate a a local ordinance and basically give it the thumbs up or thumbs down. And, And that's what these county commissioners decided to do. They didn't want to be the ones to put the kibosh on this ordinance themselves. They wanted to let a judge do it and say, oh, out of our hands. So they ask a judge to, uh, to validate this ordinance, and the judge comes back, and what they really wanted is the judge to invalidate the ordinance. But the judge comes back and says, no, I'm not going to do it. Uh, I don't see any sort of controversy. I don't see any reason for me to step in here right now. So you guys are on your own, uh, which I think is fantastic because it, it really, you know, punts it back to these county commissioners. If they don't want to uphold the will of the people, they should have the courage to say so. Uh, and I think these commissioners were looking for an easy out. The judge didn't give them that easy out. So now it's going to be up to them to actually implement this ordinance. They may very well face a lawsuit. Uh, I would not be surprised at all if a gun control group tries to sue over the Second Amendment sanctuary ordinance. But I'm glad to see the judge keep this ordinance in place for now, uh, ruling that uh, you know it's not his job to, uh, to 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 you know act what and do what the commissioner should be doing in the first place.
0: It's interesting when you see an activist judge go the other way. And I'm not Mm -hmm. saying this is an activist judge, but it is so prevalent that we see the political left, for example, go to the courts figuring everybody is on their side, and they are always stunned. The greatest example is hanging chads in 2000. The Supreme Court said, we're done here. The left still hasn't gotten over that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, again, I think we... We're seeing a number of activist judges, actually, right now um, around the country. You know, we talked about these lawsuits that have been filed, and we're seeing judges come up with some really novel legal theories and embrace these novel legal theories to get around the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. For instance, uh, in California, Brady's involved in a lawsuit uh, against the uh, gunmaker Smith & Wesson, and they are accusing Smith & Wesson of deceptive marketing practices, uh, which supposedly led to the shooting at the Poe Synagogue. In California, a couple of years ago, they can't really point to any particular advertisement that Smith and Wesson produced that that is responsible for this shooting. Uh, but a judge is actually allowing this lawsuit to proceed, saying that well, yeah, you know, uh, the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act doesn't cover any marketing claims, so there there's the loophole and uh, just roll right through it. There, um, that is a huge issue for gun owners right now. I mean, we've got the Constitution on our side. I think we've got the bulk of states on our side uh but when you've got these activist judges who are willing to not just interpret the law but to rewrite the law from the bench you know that that's when bad things happen
0: cam edwards bearing arms b-e-a-r-i-n-g bearingarms.com where he is the editor-in-chief find him on twitter at cam edwards e-d-w-a-r-d-s always a pleasure more coming up i'm tony counts So is Biden admitting that his eviction moratorium is unconstitutional? Because because it is, I'm I'm apoplectic on, on this one, guys. To extend the moratorium is an homage to the political left and the progressives who don't believe that there should be such a thing as rent. I mean, this is the the Ilhan Omar stuff that I was sharing these these are communists they believe that housing is a human right but if housing is a human right it's not going to be your house it's going to be a square concrete box but is he now admitting that what he did in extending this moratorium is unconstitutional
1: ahead it but here's the deal i can't guarantee you the court won't rule that we don't
2: have that authority but at least we'll have the ability to if we have to appeal this going for a month, at least I hope And in the
0: process by that time we'll get a lot of so he did it and figured eh, I'll get a couple of months out of it I'll get a couple of months out of doing something completely unconstitutional because why should I get permission first why should I make sure I'm I'm following the law first even though I'm the president of the United States? What other proof do you need to know that the guy is just wholly awful and completely terrible? He's completely awful. He does not care about you, about me, about we, about the Constitution. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about law it means nothing to him what else do you need to know and I want to know why there hasn't been a single damn Republican to move forward with impeachment articles the line that I've been using is what the hell else does Marjorie Taylor Greene have to do constituent services and no committees honestly there's got to be some free time in her day to do this make yourself useful is that too much to ask that we are allowing this to go forward is sinful absolutely positively sinful this is tony katz today